Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode of the show is supported by NF. NF is a small, family-run business from Vancouver in Canada. Founded by Travis and Ying, they decided to take their 20 years of experience in designing and developing clothing for some of the largest sportswear brands in the world and use that to make awesome mountain bike kit. NF stands for Needs Factory, and the name comes from their design philosophy of making products that have everything you need, but nothing more and nothing less. That philosophy can clearly be seen in their riding pants, where they've decided to use an elasticated waist. No zip, no fastener, just a simple solution that's super effective. I've been riding in their DP3 pants, and I have to say they've hit this one out of the park. The fit is great, the elasticated waist is so simple and so comfortable, it just works. These pants have a water-resistant coating, so they've been great for a UK autumn. The graphics are subtle too, making the overall look really clean and simple. I've also been using their Half Dan Merino wool riding top. Yet again, simple and so, so effective. It feels great next to the skin, wicks away the sweat and dries super quickly. If you want to support a small family business making meticulously rider-focused clothing in an ethical way, then NF is the brand for you. Head to ridenf.com to find out more. As a downtime listener, NF are offering 10% off your order until the end of 2020 by using the code DOWNTIME, all in lowercase at the checkout. They're a bit short on stock of a few things right now because it's been so popular, but they have got stock coming really soon. So make sure to check back if there's something you really want. There's a notify when available button to help you out with that too. Don't forget to make sure you subscribe to the show. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. It's really easy to do with buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. While you're on that page, you can also join my newsletter for a weekly dose of interesting bike related stuff, competitions, products that I've been enjoying and more. If you want to support the show, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop and grab yourself a treat. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies. They're all totally organic, printed to order and shipped with no single use plastic. A massive thank you to everyone who's ordered them so far. I hope you enjoy wearing them. If you're not already, then please give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's a really good way for me to be able to interact a bit more with the listeners. So the more who follow, the better. All right, this week I'm going to be chatting with one of this season's biggest breakthrough riders, Jamie Edmondson. Jamie came to most people's attention when he took a podium at the last round of the World Cup in Loser, but his climb to the top steps of the sport started way before that. We chat about his early race career, his challenge in junior years, what it takes to go privateer, how knowing Ben Cathro comes in handy, and much, much more. So, without further ado, here's Jamie Edmondson. Jamie Edmondson, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Let's um, let's start from the start then, and we we don't really have too far to wind the clock back with you because you're still uh, <laughs> still pretty young. But tell us a bit about like how mountain biking came into your life. Uh, so it started when I was about six or seven. I grew up on the west coast, over near Fort William in Scotland. So sort of. I think I, my first downer race I ever went to watch must have been World Champs there in 2007. I was okay, six, yeah. six years old and sort of been hooked ever since, I think. What, yeah, what were your memories from that event? That must have been pretty cool at that age to be stood on the hillside. I think I think Sam Hill won that one. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, it was all a bit bizarre. I'd never really seen as many. I'd always ridden my bike loads as a little kid and I would just build jumps in the garden. But to see as, that many people on bikes all excited it was pretty surreal i think at the time yeah and is that when you realized that like racing and everything was an option did that 
kind of feature in your life before then or was that the first time you'd really seen it I think that must have been about the first time I'd seen it yeah I'd sort of always known it was there was national races in Fort William and stuff but I think seeing the first seeing that world champs definitely opened my eyes to it probably nice and what bike did you have back then I had back then I must have still been on like a 16 inch wheeled rally maybe just a little rigid kids bike and then moved on to a little Kona hardtail with disc brakes I was stoked sweet so was that your first mountain bike <laughs> yeah yeah a little awesome. 20 20 inch kona nice cable discs yeah <laughs> living the dream yeah weight <laughs> probably weighs as much as my bike now but it was it was good at the time i loved it yeah yeah cool so did you get after that then you you got a bit inspired and kind of got more into the off-road and the mountain biking side of things yeah 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 i sort of i guess from there i started doing when I was young, there wasn't really many downhills like there are now. So I did sort of the Scottish cross country and lots of little local races. Because I sort of, when I was young, it wasn't until you were 12, I think, 12, 13, that you could start doing Scottish downhill races. Uh-huh. So that was kind of, I spent it all those years sort of working towards getting to them and then sort of stepped it up from there. Yeah, but what age were you when you started your first downhill? Because you did do a mini down, well, some mini downhills, didn't you? I think like yeah. twenty eleven sort of time. Yeah, how old would you have been then? I think it must have been ten. It was in, okay. in, in Leithen. Yeah, yeah. We used yeah. to do a real cool little mini downhill series there, sort of in the winter time, and it was it was a real good format. You used to go and you get, I think it was an hour's practice in the morning, and then as many runs as you want, just to go as fast and fastest time counted, basically. Ah, so they're timing every run. Yeah, I think I think that's how it used to be. Which nice. when you when you were young, it was a real cool thing because you could sort of progress and there wasn't as much pressure as normal racing, I guess, which was cool. Yeah, and fourth place in that first uh, first mini downhill out of fourteen kids, you must have been yeah like pretty happy with that. Yeah, I think I, I probably didn't even realise at the time. <laughs> it was kind of just stoked on riding my bike, and I was a bit of a loose unit when I was younger. <laughs> took, me, took me a couple of years to tame it back i think but it was good yeah for sure interesting i've read somewhere that you you said you kind of you learned quite a lot from those early races what sort of stuff did you pick up i think just sort of the general race experience and learning tracks quickly i think helps when you sort of you don't get much time on them but definitely the sdas and the bds later on helped help significantly i think for me yeah and i think you're quite it's quite unique in a way having that opportunity to get exposure to racing certainly to downhill racing from from such a young age and scotland's pretty good in that respect do you think that's helped your career as it's progressed because i was was looking back on roots and rain and you've already got 127 race (laughs) results on there and so comparing that to Kaya Hearn, who's also first year elite, he's got 77. Yeah, yeah. And he's been pretty busy as well. So yeah. <laughs> do, do you think that's helped? I think it must have, yeah. I think I've always sort of been a slow and steady progressor, I guess. I didn't, I was never sort of loose balls to the wall sort of rider. So I think having the, takes me a lot of a lot of riding and racing to sort of slowly build up the speed, which I think has mm-hmm. helped me over the years. I've never touch wood haven't really had any big injuries i think part of that's been just from being slowly progressing every, every year i get a little bit faster and faster and chip away at it i guess yeah fair play and then 
once you like think what you said it's 12 isn't it you're allowed to enter the sdas then and it, yeah i guess it takes a bit of a step up is it that's quite a competitive field these days in scotland yeah 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 i haven't I think apart from fort william i haven't been to an sda in a couple of years now but certainly the ju- juvenile youth and then into junior has always been pretty stacked in terms of good young riders and everyone's always they take it a lot more seriously now probably but uh-huh. everyone's always pretty keen and pushing hard yeah and you've got some good tracks as well right there's plenty of uh plenty of opportunity for big like actual proper big downhills up there yeah yeah it's cool to have fort william and then they normally do glencoe and Elethan and a forest always good and there's always a couple others that are sort of gives it a good variety it's not it doesn't feel like you're on the same track in a different place it's it's cool in scotland for sure yeah it's a good place to grow up and get into racing and you got you got picked up uh and you ended up riding for the six skills team which is ben cathro's thing how did how did that come about uh i think it was i think the sda organized some scottish down association that is organized a training day and i sort of met ben there and impressed him and we we spoke we'd spoken briefly him and my dad and myself had spoken about setting up a team to help sort of young scottish racers and he he sort of took me on from that and we it's gone full circle back to now really yeah what's what sort of support were you getting then in those early days was there much kind of as far as bikes and kit and stuff or was it more like ben's expertise and support i think he'd managed i think he got his kit and i think we had some discounts at shops and a couple of sponsors and then a lot of coaching stuff because when he was still doing the full-time coaching you sort of you could tag on to any coaching days and track walks and stuff which was really good when i was younger for sure just to sort of constantly getting tips and feedback and i think that really helped me progress yeah it's pretty unique i guess from the age of what i guess you'd have been about 13 having the opportunity to learn from and go on track walk with someone that's as good as ben was at world cup level yeah yeah i think it was definitely definitely very beneficial i think to have him there and to sort of see how he did everything and how he prepped for the race and how he how he did his runs and even if i wasn't anywhere near as near as quick then it was still still so helpful to see how he he did it i think it's i think when you're young it's hard to sort of get into to the top guys because they're sort of doing their own thing and that sort of opened a door to see what he was doing and how he was making it work yeah did you feel like you needed to kind of push on to impress him or have you always been reasonably okay with going at your own pace with stuff because I, I certainly i guess speaking from my experience as, as a young kid definitely i i think i would have overridden in that <laughs> opportunity yeah i think it was a bit of a gradual build i think every now and then you'd try and you'd, you'd try and do something to impress him or he'd tell you something couldn't be done and you'd you'd go out and try and do it just to show him but <laughs> But generally, he was he was always so relaxed with it that you could. There was no stress. It was go as fast as you can, and he was stoked. Yeah, everyone was happy, really. Yeah, fair play. So it's a good foundation from those mini downhills and the SDAs, and that took you on kind of into the 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 British series, the national series, and uh, and 2015, I guess, was maybe your first. I don't know, big win, if that's the right way of putting it. But I think you took Scottish champs in, in juvenile quite early that season, yeah? Uh, i trying to remember now. I must have been... Yeah, I think that must have been my last year in juvenile. So I, I actually got into juvenile a year early. 
Okay. I knew I'd done some riding with Chris Ball and he was when he was still working for British Cycling in there and he'd sort of put in a good word for me. So I must I think I got in a year early. So by my third year in juvenile, I was I think I won all the Scottish rounds. It's it's a cool format of the SDAs with you get two runs. So it was never even if you got a punch or a crash, it was easy to to put down a good one, which was always helpful for me, I think. Nice. And what was it like taking that national title? Did that did that mean a lot to you? Do you think it was a good confidence boost? Yeah, I think it was. And I think it, it sort of, I followed, I ended up following all through my sort of, up until junior career, sort of followed the, the ideal progression path, really, of sort of slowly building up in the SDAs, winning them, then up into youth racing and the downhill and doing BDS and sort of winning them slowly and, it sort of always transitioned quite smoothly from year to year, which has always been really fortunate with. Yeah. And you raced Crankworx, I think, for the first time in 2015. Was that your first time overseas racing? Uh, I think it must have been, yeah. I think it was, was, it, it was the Whistler Crankworks, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We sort of went on a bit of a family holiday and I took my down a bike and went to Whistler and got, got smoked by all the locals who <laughs> where they were going. But it, it, was, it was a real cool experience and being at Crankworx and Whistler is always pretty crazy on its own. So yeah, that must've been pretty mind blowing at like what, 14, 15 being surrounded by Cause literally right. Everyone's there, aren't they? The yeah. whole of the mountain bike world, all the pros are there. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And getting to sort of, I knew a few people from home and a few, I knew most of the Scottish boys that were there. So Rory Cunningham was there, I think, and Neil Stewart. And I think Reese Wilson must've been there as well. So we sort of knew them and did a few, got to ride with them a little bit and it was real cool to sort of get introduced to so many new people. Yeah. And cool of your family to, I mean, I'm guessing they weren't just accidentally in Whistler while Crankworx was on, right? That must've been an intentional thing to support your racing and your aspirations. Yeah. Yeah. Dad, dad's always been so keen and sort of, we'd always done, he's always been really good at sort of planning holidays that that work if you want to ride your bike a lot so we've been we've done trips to france and stuff as well i've always been had the chance to ride it's been really fortunate yeah does he have a background in mountain biking then is that something he's always been into uh i guess i think he sort of did road cycling and a bit of riding when he was younger and then he sort of worked at an outdoor center when i was really young and I think he did sort of some mountain bike stuff there and sort of always just sort of followed me through it once once he saw I was keen. And then 2015 as well, you won the British series overall, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, I mean, that's a tough, yeah, again, it's a tough series to win. It's a lot of travel, especially if you're coming down from Scotland for a lot of the races. How How did you feel at that point? And were you starting to get some attention from kind of brands and teams and stuff then? Because you're obviously showing a lot of capability. Yeah, I think it was, I think that must have been my last year in juvenile. And I'd sort of, I knew Neil Stewart, who used to race on FMD. I'd known him for years and he sort of put me in touch with, at the time it was John Aldale at Fox. So I'd, he hooked me up with some Fox kit and I was starting to get a few other people that were sort of discounts here and there and getting bikes at good prices. And that, that definitely picked up as I sort of went through into doing well in juvenile and the British series for sure. Yeah. When was it that FMD approached you then? Uh, I think it, I think I must have started talking to them at, at the end of my last year in 
uh, juvenile. So that was 2015, was it? I think. Yeah. 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 So it was got, I already knew Neil Stewart and then got to know Chaos and Tiny a bit and then managed to sort of get a deal with them going into youth from there, really. That must have been a, been a pretty exciting team to be involved with, right? Those guys were kind of on the up as well. Tiny and Chaos were, their names were getting bigger and bigger around the sport. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was such a, such a good opportunity to sort of learn and grow with them and see them develop and they helped me develop. And it was definitely, definitely a cool experience for sure. Yeah. And you did, so it was a couple of seasons supported by them in youth first, right? Before yeah. you're able to get to World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how was that to kind of move up into youth? Did you find that hard or was it just kind of an easy progression for you? Uh, I think I was more worried about it at the time than I probably should have been. I ended up, <laughs> I actually ended up having like a big, bit of a growth spurt going into youth, which is pretty uh-huh. much the perfect time for it. I was always a pretty small kid and I grew a bit and got a bit stronger and, that sort of gave me that extra little push that I needed to then sort of, I think I podiumed at every round that year in the end in youth in my first year, which I wasn't really expecting. I was kind of hoping for a couple of podiums, but. Nice. And did you, did you win the British series overall in youth in 2017? I couldn't, I couldn't find the overall results. I think I did. I think that was that my last, that must've been my last year yeah. in, in youth. Yeah. I won it that year. Yeah. Just, I think. Nice. And you also, I think in that youth phase, you did your first ever enduro race, which was one of the British series when it was running up in, in Leithen, which you went and won. Um, what made you enter that? Cause like, I think a lot of young people in downhill see enduro as they're not quite so cool <laughs> side of things and maybe not so interested in it, but you gave it a go and it, it went pretty well. Yeah. I think I just always really, just really like racing my bike, I think. And especially when you're young and you can't drive yourself to places it's hard to ride you you're down a bike a lot so i end up riding my trail bike mostly at home so i always felt comfortable on it and i just enjoyed it i think and i did it with a few mates a bit for fun and i think i always i always go into them thinking it's for fun and then end up taking it pretty seriously once i'm there but <laughs> yeah i just just always enjoyed it and this sort of stayed with me till now really yeah Fair play. And then, like you say, pretty good uh, progression all the way through the categories. But 2018 comes around, first season as a junior, and your first opportunity to go to a World Cup, which is a massive step for any rider. I don't think there's any way you can really prepare fully for something like that. And uh, it was Lozenge as well, wasn't it? Which is yeah, yeah. It's a pretty full-on, I mean, not the longest trap, but pretty full-on. What What do you remember from that weekend? Uh it was pretty wild. It was such a massive learning curve and just sort of being on the same track as all the people you'd sort of looked up to and being involved with it all. I think I stacked myself in practice pretty hard. N- nearly got a rock through my eye. Oh. And then I think just the head was not in the right place at that one. It was sort of all the nerves of, because it was top 20 qualifying in junior out of probably 40 kids. Uh-huh. So it was, a re- it was reasonably tough to qualify. So I sort and I sort of knew that and just sort of rode tight and tense, I think, and it took me a while to get into the, the headset of racing and sort of relaxing, which was hard for me, but it was real cool. It was such a good experience and that that track was a bit wild in its own little way, but it was such a cool place and it was such a good time to be out there really. 
Yeah, and 16th place finish at your first ever World Cup. I think Thibaut Duprella won it, who uh, everyone will be uh, well aware of from this season, and Cade um, came second. Like, How did you feel about that result? What What did you go hoping for, and how did you feel coming away from that first World Cup? I think I was pretty disappointed that time. I think I sort of got in with a bit higher expectations and sort of seeing where where other boys were that I'd raced in nationals, and I'd never been that far off Cade even if he'd always been sort of a little bit ahead. So I definitely would think I was a bit disappointed, but it was sort of disappointed, but knew I hadn't ridden that well, maybe, compared to sort of my potential. I wasn't sort of happy with my run, which I think probably helped a, a little bit. You're not, yeah. you're not thinking you've done your best and then, and then it's not worked out. Okay, yeah, fair play. And do you think it, like being on a team, I mean, FMD, I don't think was an elite team then, I'm not totally sure, um, but it's still, it's a big team, it's a high-profile team. Did that add pressure or did it help having that support? I, th- I think it helped more than it hindered that year. I think it was, you needed the support really. It was You could definitely see the people that didn't have it that was finding it much tougher than I was, that's for sure. And sort of I think when you were at your first race the pressure probably wasn't as much which was nice and it was more just pressure I was putting on myself I think but no the team definitely helped at the World Cups especially in junior where you don't really know anyone you don't have any connections to to blag things and make things work as much for sure yeah and getting your bike looked after as well I guess must be a massive bonus just not having to worry about all that other stuff that goes on yeah, I think it's all the bits that you, you sort of forget that you have to think about. It's like all the, the eating, the sleeping, the the planning, the knowing knowing what time your run is, keeping the bike ticking over. It's all certainly having been privateer this year has made me realise how, how lucky I was and how much else there is to think about probably. Yeah, there's a lot going on at a World Cup. Isn't yeah, there, yeah, for sure. for sure. Yeah. And so you come from your first World Cup and then your second one is basically your home race, Fort William, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was. I sort of came in. I think I'd done all right at the national race there, just before it, and then came in and just enjoyed it and had a good time. And yeah, it went all right in the end. I think. Yeah, fourth place. Yeah, Got the uh, second ever World Cup in juniors. You must have been pretty stoked to do that on home soil. Yeah, yeah. It was all a bit mad and qualifying that race. I got to the top, top of the gondola, and realised I'd forgotten my gloves and my goggles. So, so I was sitting in the start gate, stressing out, and realized I got to the point where I realized no one was going to be able to get any to me in time. So I just sort of dropped in, and I think I could pretty much ride it with my eyes closed anyway. But sort of squinting my way down, and ended up I think I, did I qualify fifth or sixth in there? And from there, I was like, that was sort of when I was happy with how I was riding and knew that I could push on from there really. And then ended up fifth in finals, yeah. Yeah, Fort Williams, not somewhere I'd want to ride down without goggles. Well, that, it was dry that year, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, it was pretty dry that year, I think. So it was. Yeah. I got lucky for sure. Nice. And I guess took a, a good chunk of confidence away from that and you, you kind of carried it into the following weekend in Leergang and put yourself in fifth again. So it's starting to, starting to go pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that was the sort of confidence to tick over that sort of, I think I always ride better when I know that, I think if I know I can do well, on 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 my best run then i can i can go well and i can get my head in a good place i think when i'm thinking actually what what if my best run here isn't good enough to to be happy with then that's when i sort of overstress i think but 
carrying that confidence into the, set, the third race in Gang and the rest of the season definitely helped for sure. How do, so how do you judge that? Like, how do you make that call that says, I feel like my if I do my best here, I'm going to do well? Like, how do you, are you using data? Is it feel like, where does that come from? I think just from, some of it will be from practice and riding with other people a bit. And then some of it's just from, from race results, sort of knowing that these are the weekends where I felt like I rode really well and did good and I was happy with my run. And then the result worked out good. At the, uh-huh. And these are the ones where actually I, I messed up my run and I was a bit off, but I wasn't too far back. I think having that sort of data from, from previous races is always good. Yeah. Have you ever had any of those races then where you feel like everything's gone well, but you've had a result that has been pretty bad? Like, And how do you deal with that when it happens, if it happens? I think I had I had, a, had it a little bit last year. There's definitely some races where I was a bit disappointed coming out of it and and it might maybe it would just make expectations are a bit too high coming in, but I think I just found that I needed to sort of work out where I could improve and still just trying to find time because you I think that's the cool thing about being at the World Cup is that you know that there's there's more time to be had until and <laughs> even if you're in first place. But like knowing that there's people there going 15 seconds quicker, I think you know that you can you can find half a second in every turn or whatever it needs to be. Knowing that, yeah. pretty cool, for sure. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, even the perfect run from the fastest person down the hill, like, it's never perfect, is it? Someone's generally got a faster split somewhere in at least one or two parts of the track, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think they, I think Red Bull did a thing, and that they show the data of, like, the perfect time. And sometimes sometimes it's it is the winner, but generally there's always sort of half a second quicker if you, if you were, did it off everyone's best split, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, definitely. And so the rest of that first season, I guess, I mean, Val de Sol, you had a, a DNQ. What what went on there? Uh, well, I, I crashed in qualities. Okay. But it was it was a tough weekend. I, I think that was the first place I'd ever been where I genuinely felt like I couldn't do a full run because my hands were so sore. Wow, okay. I think the TV makes it seem probably easier and shorter potentially. You kind of only show the bottom half but it's just like a long complicated physical track and it's cool it's cool to have it i wouldn't i wouldn't want them to not race there because it's hard but it's definitely a definitely wakes you up for sure do you find that a lot more physical than somewhere like fort william that you're very familiar with because that's a long kind of seemingly physical track but they're very different aren't they yeah i think fort william generally there's it's nice because there's like patches of smooth and where you can get off the brakes and then you have to have to hang on a bit harder so you can kind of rest in between and whereas Valdesol was definitely much more intense you needed to be pedaling on all the flat bits and you needed to attack all the, the steep bits and I think the steeper tracks definitely hurt my hands more than the the mellow ones probably yeah Hold, holding could, on a bit yeah <laughs> for sure but then yeah you went on from there I think fourth place in Valnord uh, ninth in Mont-Saint-Anne, sixth at Le Bresse, and then 10th at Worlds. I, I mean, looking back, how did you feel with your performance from that first junior season? Because you were in a, I mean, it was a pretty tough group with Thibaut, Cade, Kai, people like that. Yeah, I was stoked. I was sort of, I came into the season wanting sort of top 10s, I think it was. And I sort of, once I got that, then you start, then the goals sort of shifted towards top five and, and seeing how close I was to the podium. I was, 
I was edging for a podium every weekend, but in the end, I was really happy. I was, I was sort of where I wanted to be and felt good going into the next year for sure. Yeah. So what, what were your expectations for your second junior year? And I'm guessing they were pretty high. I wanted to podium really. I wanted to get top three in junior that year, but I think, I think that probably didn't help as much because you, the expectations were so high that you were constantly disappointed even if it was a poor time in time training or qualities or something, you sort of, you were, I think I was too focused on that top three number to, to really focus on myself enough. Yeah. I was, I listened to something the other day and Sven said he, he called you a lazy junior in your <laughs> final year, but then he corrected it to say that he thought you were coasting with your skill set. Like, I guess there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people never see or never find out about but it sounds like your head was a tough place to be in in that second year junior yeah I think <laughs> I heard this fan thing and I, I thought that was quite fun. I didn't feel lazy at the time but all <laughs> that I was coasting but maybe he might have been right I think it was I think just over expectations and worrying about the bike and sort of when you're not going as well as you want to it's quite easy to think about all the things that aren't going well and to worry about how you're riding and really start doubting yourself. And when you, and when you're doubting yourself and not doing so well, but you're trying to keep the same goals as you you had when you were feeling good, it's hard to, it's then hard to be happy. Even if actually you put in a good run and you're, you're a second off the podium or you're a second off top five, actually because of the numbers, you're not happy. And that doesn't, then you don't get the confidence going into the next one. Yeah, it's a bit of a downward spiral, I guess, isn't it? You kind of, you get down on yourself and as a result, you don't ride as well. So you get more down. Like it's hard to drag yourself out of, I suppose. Yeah, I think it was definitely, definitely tough. And I think it was, it was definitely a, a hard place to be, but I had good support. And I think knowing that it was sort of, I knew I could be there, but I just wasn't quite. And then I'd have a good race and just be off or, it felt like I was, I was getting, getting unlucky at the wrong times. And actually when I went well, everyone seemed to go well and no one crashed. And then the weekend I would crash, everyone would crash and it would be three new people on the podium. And I, you're always sat there thinking that could have been me, but no, it was a tough place to be, but I definitely learned a lot that year and definitely motivated me a bit more and pushed me harder to sort of figure all the things out that I needed to figure out. Yeah. Did it leave you in a bit of a tricky spot then as far as getting a, a team ride for for the following season? Yeah, kind of. I think I think I finished the season in ninth. So and moving up into elite generally there's not that many many spots for first year elites on teams, so I kinda knew it'd be tough and it ended up being pretty hard. A lot of people said no, a lot of people didn't <laughs> never got back to me and it just sort of had to figure it all out for myself, which was a bit a bit of a tough time but it was it was cool to get the opportunity in the end yeah yeah how so how late was it in the year before you knew that a a kind of a big team ride wasn't going to happen probably december by the end it sort of Uh, all dragged out a bit and you were sort of holding on to the hope that there was a couple of teams left to get back to you and you're sort of holding on to them but in the end it sort of you had to start making the calls to work out what are you going to do if you don't have a team. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. How do you go about that then? You've, you've obviously had to put your own program together. Like how have you approached doing that? Like what, what do you tell people? Who do you speak to? What do you ask for? Like, what do you give back? Like, how does it all, how does it all work? A, a lot of emails. It is, <laughs> I sort of, Tony at FMD was good. He gave me a few of the contacts and I'd got to know a few sponsors personally from being on FMD, which was really helpful. I think it would have been near impossible if I hadn't already had the sort of connections with people like Fox and Shimano and, and then just a lot of, asking pulling in favors sort of asking people do you know this person have you got a contact for someone here and then a lot of emails and probably 50 percent of my emails probably didn't get even get a reply and so it was just keep knuckling down and trying and trying and sort of ticking off all the parts that i needed to build up a bike that i was happy with and ended up working out really well in the end yeah was there was there ever a part of you that thought it might not happen and like, did you ever want to give up with it or were you always going to make it happen, whatever? I think, yeah, I was, I think I got to the point where I had everything, I'd sort of lined everything up except a frame. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do if I don't get, <laughs> you need a frame. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty important to have to buy one of them brand new cost price. It's pretty expensive. So I was sort of stressing about that. And there was like, but by that point I'd already, I think because I'd already been training all winter, that definitely sort of kept me accountable because I'd I'd worked so hard to that point that I was like, well, I need to carry on now, I've, or I've wasted the last two and a half months. Yeah, yeah, it's hard work, isn't it? That you've already put in. You don't want to don't want to leave it somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Get out there. Yeah, so it came together in the end, and uh, you ended up with the nuke brief, which you you paid a little bit for as well, right? Yeah, so because it because I I think it ended up everything had got pushed back and back and I'd sort of been holding out on people and then not getting anything back from them. So it was so late in the year that they couldn't really they couldn't offer me a free bike. But I managed to get a we did a good price on it and we managed to make it work and I was happy on it, which was good. I think. Yeah. I think if I think coming into it, if I, I knew if it was going to be a privateer, I wanted to be a privateer on a bike I was happy on as opposed to sort of going to some off brand that could do you a free frame, but actually you were just going to struggle on it all year and it wasn't going to work for you. So yeah, no, I was happy yeah. with that. Very sensible. Cause yeah, if, if your results don't fire, you don't, you're never getting anywhere. Are you are not going to pick up a team? You've got to get the results. So you need a bike that works. Yeah, exactly. And I sort of, I spoke to Chris, my coach, Chris Kilmurray, he, he was on Nuke proof and I sort of spoke to him a bit about it and sort of, he was like, yeah, it's a good bike and it'll work. And we just sort of went from there and had to commit to it. And it, it was good in the end. Yeah. So did you change much up other than obviously the entire sort of team side of things? Did you change much up between last season and this season with like your training or your support or I don't know, sports psychology or any of that kind of stuff? Uh, my training definitely changed. So in, in my last year of junior, I'd wanted to do, I think I did my first EWS in finale in 2018, I think it uh -huh. was. And I really enjoyed it. And then I wanted to do a few more the next year, but the team had sort of said it's a, it's downhill only and we want you to focus on that. So I'd only got to one round at the end of the year after the downhill season in Zermatt. I think I got a 10th there. So I was kind of it. I was sort of the, the plan for this year, if it had all gone ahead, would have been to do sort of half and half downhill and enduro 
Okay. Do some EWS, partly because I sort of felt it was it was good for the sponsors. It sort of got them a few extra races for, for a, a bike that I was going to be asking for anyway. And part, part of it just because I enjoyed it so much and wanted to race my bike as much as I could and give myself as many opportunities as possible, really. So the enduro training definitely was one of the big things I changed up on that side. And that, I think that definitely helped me in the end this year for downhill and enduro. Yeah, so more volume, a lot more miles, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I was sort of I was riding my bike for longer and more than I ever had really, and sort of it felt tough at first, and then you sort of you'd go back and repeat a ride you did two months ago, and you suddenly feel that actually I don't mind pedal up there as much, and <laughs> sort of the fitness slowly increased, and it was good to see, and it sort of kept me motivated for sure. Yeah, well, a long ride in a Scottish winter can be a bit tough, though. I, I bet. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not easy. I think sort of anything over two hours, you start getting pretty cold. <laughs> but it's all right, and I I don't mind it. And there's there's a good few people up up around me that are always keen to do big bigger rides, which is nice. They're not just hardcore downhillers, so that's always awesome. good. Yeah, and did you did you do anything on the the sort of psychology, the mindset side of things? Because it sounds like that was one of the bigger struggles for you in in the final junior year. No, I didn't. I didn't get a psychologist or anything like that. But I, I think just my own mindset. I think almost the results helped the mindset, and then the mindset helped the results. Okay. I think if I'd if I'd come into Maribor, qualifying and qualified sixty fifth. I think it would have been a tough, a tough end of the season, but sort of seeing that I was, I was riding pretty relaxed, sort of not putting much pressure on myself at the downhill and the enduro. And then, and then the results were sort of coming and seeing that then made me think, like I said before, it's sort of when you go good, it's a good result and you're happy. It's a lot more, it's a lot easier to relax into it. You're not stressing about riding a bike faster than you actually can because that's the minimum you need to do. It's like, actually, I'll ride as fast as I can and I'll be stoked on how it, how the result is and yeah, that's a good place to be. Yeah, kind of letting it come to you, I guess, a bit more than going going after it in a way. Yeah. Like easing your way in. Yeah, I think sort of, don't want to say low expectations, but not. I, w- I went to Maribor w- with the goal of sort of qualifying and then if I could qualify, I was like, I'll try and get top 40. And I think I was... 17th in time training nice and then that sort of I was like oh, okay I'm not I'm not too far off and I could I reckon I could qualify on this with a good one and then and then it, it rained for qualifying for everyone there and I think I ended up 18th in qualities and from there I was like right I know that from now if I can if I can keep putting in good runs the results will be where I want them to be this year and that was yeah that was a really good mindset to have I think because it it definitely made me focus more on on how I was riding and not the result I was chasing. I think. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, let's talk a bit about this year then. But I guess the start of it was everything getting pushed back and races getting cancelled. And you've obviously put in a heavy off season, both kind of from a fitness perspective to get ready for EWS, but also like on the emails trying to put together a program. How did you feel when things started to get? cancelled and, and moved back so i think that it's been a challenge for a number of riders and everyone sort of approached it differently yeah i think it was i'm sure a few people agree that i sort of 
I didn't. I'm not sure I was 100 percent ready. If I if loser had been when loser was meant to be, I think I wouldn't have been where I am now. Okay. I think it was. I'd only just. I was a bit late getting my downer bike built up, and I, I, I was waiting for some parts for my enduro bikes so that didn't get built up till ended up being May time, I think. Wow. So, so it was all, which was okay in the end, but sort of I hadn't had enough. I hadn't had as much training and testing on the bikes as I would have liked. So I think actually it kind of suited me. Uh-huh. And then it was sort of working out. Well, when do we need to be focused again? When's it going to start? Because you could you could end up with one week's notice, but you could also tr- peak way too soon and then be struggling coming in because you were you'd gone so hard up until the date you decided on, and then that wasn't actually the result the the race day, and then you were struggling there. So it was, it was hard to organise it all. But yeah, but. So how did you feel coming into Zermatt then? Because that was there was a reasonable amount of notice for that, wasn't there? I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that was sort of we knew for a while that they'd said this is it, this is going to be the first one, and I'd been to Val Dalos. They, they had a French Enduro Cup there, so I'd gone to that with a few people, and I felt like I'd ridden well, and that was the first time I'd got to race the new the new bike, and I was happy with how I rode there. So I sort of came in with a bit of confidence and. And I really enjoyed it. I had so much fun and like practice. Well, up until the race, it was dry and we went and rode in Zermatt and then practice day, it chucked it down and it was the wettest, wildest conditions you've ever seen. And it's a bit Scottish. Yeah, it was a bit. It was like being at home. And I was just, I was just sitting there laughing to myself the whole way down, just like smiling all day and just loving it. Sort of the tracks rode really well and when it was like heavy rain there. So I think just, it's always nice when you're having a good time and, there's pros around you sort of slipping down stuff and you're you're just there enjoying it and not not taking it too seriously which was nice yeah i think it, it only seemed to be you and ella Connolly that had smiles on your face that weekend <laughs> that sounds about right it was probably <laughs> we, we, we we were primed for the conditions i think yeah and it went well for you didn't it yeah it went really well i was it was it was a weird race day because we sort of got an email in the morning to say i think they'd cancelled stage three by sort of eight o'clock and that, that was my favourite stage, actually, so I was a bit gutted about that. But And then gradually, as the time went on, they were sort of cancelling more stages and shortening stages until we were sort of they were like, right, we're going to do these two stages, and that's it. And they ended up being pretty intense, I think, because you, you knew that you didn't have to go hard for very long, but you had to go all out. Yeah. And the, it, by that point, it started getting a bit, a bit tackier and a bit muddier, but it was good fun, and I... I felt like I rode pretty average on stage one and ended up third in that. So from, oh, I think I was fourth in the end of that. So from there I was sort of like, well, this is, if that was an average stage and I came fourth, I'm I'm sure I could do well on a good stage and pushed so hard on the on the second stage and it ended up working out pretty well for me. Yeah. There was a lot of pedaling on that as well, wasn't there? That second stage, I watched Jesse Melamed's helmet cam from it and it looked, uh, it looked physical and brutal in the top section as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a big filthy sort of trail centre bike park section that would, I think they'd opened it like the day before practice and then it had rained. So it was so soft and sticky and you were, I actually locked my shock out for it coming up. There's a sort of a big fire road section and then into this trail centre, I would like lock my shock in the race run because I'd felt so slow in it and practice and I'm not, sure, I'm not sure it helped, but the placebo helped and we sort of, you were just pedalling out of every turn as hard as you could sort of going all out the whole way 
Yeah. And popping yourself on the podium with a third place is a nice way to start the season for your first kind of, I guess, first big race. Yeah. I was stoked to sort of, I wasn't really sure where I'd sit in the under 21s and ended up being pretty good. And I think that was definitely a good, a good, a good confidence boost going into the rest of the season for sure. Yeah. And then on to Pietra and uh, Finale where the weather was a little bit better. Yeah. I think it was, did it, it must have rained in Pietra uh, for halfway through race day, which was carnage. It was like the trails were the slippiest things he'd ever ridden. <laughs> and they, they'd gone from like sort of half a foot in dust to half a foot in slime. But again, I was just loving it and really enjoyed the stages and was all pretty relaxed still, which was nice. And just sort of, I think because I'd come in wanting with the dream of getting top five at the EWS to then to then be on pace for a podium at each round, just sort of, it helped me knowing that I was happy. I was happy if I was a little bit back, but I was also happy where I was and that was real good for me, I think. Yeah, and finishing out with another two third places, uh, yeah, it's awesome, <laughs> isn't it? And I, I assume we'll see you at EWS again next year. Yeah, hopefully. I'm still sort of sorting stuff out for next year, but I've sort of said to the, the people I'm speaking to that I'd like to be doing them again and, I think it really helped me for the downhill just in terms of in terms of getting lots of race runs in before the downhill racing helped this year, but also just the training and the mental prep and the bike time that you get from it. And, and it's hard to, it's hard to push that hard and all the, the janky bits and the, the bits that you wouldn't sprint till you were about to throw up at home. But when, the, when there's a race on the line, you're like, right, I'll just, I'll just knuckle down and do this then. <laughs> you don't really have much choice. Yeah, so I guess it, it must have helped sort of, yeah, just sharpen your fitness a little bit coming into the World Cup as well as getting some some race miles under your belt because there's a lot of people that hadn't really done much against the clock all year, I suppose. Yeah, I definitely had. It was a good quality race time in terms of how many how many hours I'd been on the clock before the first race. I didn't get to do much downhill before, before uh, Maribor, but... I definitely got a lot of racing in that I was stoked on and I think that definitely helped keep me on on the good side of it and I'd, I was fitter than I ever had been coming into Maribor and I'd lost a bit of weight and I was happy with how that was and I knew that I could pedal as hard as I could and I'd be doing all right so that was a good place to be. Yeah and those those kind of double header race weekends I guess as well it, the, the physicality element comes it's even more important than, than a normal World Cup, right? Yeah, I think I think a lot of riders have also said before me probably, but the physical side wasn't too bad. You don't end up with a lot of actual bike time at World Cups. You sort of you get I think it must be three hours practice on a, on the first day and then an hour and a bit and then you quali run and then another hour and then finals. So that's mm-hmm. sort of the the format doesn't tire you out physically more than it tires you out mentally. I think it was a sort of okay. just having to think about everything and be on time for everything and be prepared. And especially that I think it was harder being a wet race as well in Maribor because it meant every night you had to, is everything clean? Is everything dry? Do I have everything I need for tomorrow prepped? Do I have food? Do I have water? Is it all just constantly thinking about stuff? And it was, that was mentally by the end of the week, you were pretty knackered. Yeah, I bet. And what, so what uh, kind of infrastructure 
did you plan to have like what with your program that you put together what support would you have had on site so it was just me and my dad we drove a van out at the start of august and it's sort of been going to races and had a van full of spares that i could sort of use and then i met up with ben cathro out there and we sort of planned this year that i could sort of have a bit of space in the back of his pits because i'd known him from so long and he was cool with that and then he because his Ben wasn't racing, I ended up getting to use his mechanic Angus. So he he between him and my dad, they looked after my bike sort of at the World Cup itself, and but that was about it really. It wasn't it wasn't a big glamorous pit setup, but it was good enough, and it was it had everything I needed, and I felt felt well supported there for sure. Yeah, it must be good having someone like Ben on hand, like not only for the experience, but also I mean, you two go back a long way yeah i think it was a good atmosphere i think it was it was like everyone that everyone in the pit because michaela parton was obviously there with her mechanic so it was a good little scottish crew of us and it was like everyone in the pit wanted you to do well but hadn't invested too much in you that if you didn't do well they were going to be disappointed i think it was yeah. it was kind of like a well if you qualify we're stoked for you so actually there wasn't too much pressure but there was also a lot of support, which I guess is probably quite hard to find in a in a team because they're putting up the money, they're give, sorting you the bikes. Whereas when you'd done it all yourself, actually, they were just like, well, we'll just give you a hand and if you do well, you do well. We don't really mind. Yeah, that's really nice. And did you find yourself running short of kit then? Because I guess a lot of riders on the big teams have got like 20 pairs of goggles all ready <laughs> to go and multiple pairs of gloves and all this kind of stuff, but maybe maybe not so much and. Like it, certainly from the weather it looked like you're probably getting through stuff yeah you're sort of on two sets of kit a day so it was i was lucky fast house had helped me out this year and so i had i had just about enough and we had a there was a washing machine at the accommodation that got absolutely abused and <laughs> we we're washing stuff off in the shower every night and trying to dry it all in this little apartment room but it ended up just about getting away with it mostly for the most yeah. part yeah yeah and it panned out well marable didn't it i mean considering you went with uh with low expectations i guess like you say that those expectations built through your performance over the week but you must have been pretty happy coming away with those results yeah i was really stoked sort of looking back at them <laughs> after loser i'm like oh, i wish i could have done a bit better but actually at the time in at the time i was so happy and just sort of riding on a bit of a high and i think it was it was knowing that i was sort of where i wanted to be or a little bit even better than that was a really good good place to be knowing that I could sort of qualify on a smooth run and I could push hard and get some good sectors and I just needed to piece it together a little bit I think which was good yeah and what did you do with your time between then and looser then because there was like a week and a half wasn't there I guess between the two uh sort of took a bit of time off and we went to the Italian coast down to San Remo sort of in between the it was a massive drive from Maribor to Lusa. So I went, went to San Remo and Finale and rode there a bit and just sort of relaxed and took some time to recover and refresh, really. Yeah. And then on to Loser and um, Track Walk when you got there. What well, had you been there before? Yeah, I went there last year, I think. For, I did a Portuguese Cup race there last year. And then I, I was also out at the start. So when, I think two weeks before the World Cup should have been at the start of the year in March, yeah. We were out there, sort of, we were going to do a Portuguese race and then do the World Cup there and then come home. But 
ended up that got cancelled obviously and we had to come home early but i got to see see the track and do some riding and testing there a little bit in march so I'd, i kind of knew what to expect but it was it was better than expected probably there was some good yeah. there was some good fresh bits and the track was in good condition it was it was a nice change from maribor i think a bit of change of pace yeah and from seeing it on track walk did you think it was a track that you could go particularly well on did it did you have a good feel for it I think so. Yeah. I think it's, I almost don't know what, what tracks I do well and don't do well on anymore. It seems to be a bit hit and miss, but yeah, it looked like a track I knew I was going to enjoy. And I think when I'm, when I'm enjoying it, I'll probably, probably putting out better runs. So that, that definitely helped. Yeah. And I think it was a, it was a cool track and I was, I was definitely excited to ride there. So that was, that was a good place to be to start off with. Yeah. And you enjoyed the, enjoyed your uh, practice then by the sounds of things you got up to speed pretty quick. Yeah, sort of got into it, and it's what I always like when they've got fresh stuff because I like being able to think about it a bit and analyze it, and then just having fun. I think it was the conditions were really good, it was sort of loose but not too loose and not too dry, but it had a bit of moisture in it, and it was nice. It was real good, good riding, and sort of the dream conditions for practice for sure. Yeah, it was one of those World Cups that I've sat and watched and really wanted to be there riding. Like, yeah, so it looked like a lot of fun. And yeah, twenty first in time training. Were were you happy with that run? Like, how did did that give you a good feel for where you were that weekend? Yeah, I think it it sort of confirmed to me that Maribor wasn't a fluke and that I wasn't too far off. And I think I would have liked to have done a little bit better. Maybe I felt like I pushed reasonably hard, but I think on that track, the difference between pushing like kind of hard and pushing flat out was a there was a big difference there i found that in both races sort of from quality to race if you stepped it up in every corner a little bit actually there was a lot of time to be found so i was happy okay. with time i was happy with time training though i'd say yeah yeah and i think am i right in saying you qualified 32nd for both races that weekend yeah <laughs> was that so is that i mean you're obviously right on the cusp of the live feed there mm-hmm. is that would you rather be on the on that side of it or would you rather be on the live feed like from a from a pressure perspective or i don't know just so that everyone at home can watch you how do you feel about that uh i think i would have liked to be on the live stream but i think i've i'm still i wasn't protected obviously so i sort of came in and just sort of knew that if i could do a smooth good one i'd get in and that was kind of i don't want to blow up too early and not get to race because i was just trying to get on tv and i think i got i was on the live stream in maribor for the first race and there was definitely a bit of pressure but at the same time i was i was happy to be there and it was it was a cool experience so i wasn't too fussed about the live stream particularly but it was good when it was there yeah and then 10th place in that first race run talk talk us through your run first off and then and then how you (laughs) feel about that result yeah it was it was a real good run i think i just sort of i hit all my lines i carried the speed and i'd sort of in practice i'd managed to sort of piece together every section maybe uh, I'd, I'd no i'd ridden every section that i was to a point where i was happy with it i was like that's actually that's sort of up to race speed riding right. through the section and then in finals i put all those sections together and it's just sort of clicked for me and i had a really good race and pushed hard where it where i knew i could and didn't take too many risks i didn't feel like i was on a loose one particularly but definitely mm-hmm. a fast one it was yeah i was really happy with it yeah well when you're sitting like 
next to Troy Brosnan in the results <laughs> in your first year elite. You must be you must be pretty happy. Yeah, it was a bit weird because I because I'd qualified thirty thirty second. Ended up sitting there at the finish for quite a while to sort of see where I'd finished, and you sort of we we were doing the maths on the start list and working out. You sort of got to it, got to the point where I'd beaten my my Maribor best result. Just like I knew I was at least getting twenty eighth of everyone that came down and went faster. Then you were twenty fifth, and then twentieth, and then top fifteen, and you're like, I'm not that far off. And then it, it came down to being Loris. He was the last man down, and if he if he'd had a good one. I would have gone 11th and we were uh, just sitting there watching. And then suddenly his splits came up and we saw he'd got a puncher and it was just like a surreal feeling to think you'd, you'd gone that well. Yeah. Did you ever, do you ever expect to be in the top 10 in your first elite year? No, not <laughs> at all. I think after, after Maribor, I thought on the best I could do, I might squeeze into top 20. I sort of had okay. that in the back of my mind. I was like, I might be able to get top 20 here. I had, I wasn't too far off in Maribor, a couple of seconds, I think it was, at both races. And it's all pretty tight that you only need a couple of seconds to go up 10 places. So I'd sort of, I thought 20, but but definitely not top 10 in my first year for sure. Nice. Was there, was there much of a response from the, like the people around the paddock or was it kind of hard to interact with people with all the COVID stuff in place? No, the paddock scene was pretty relaxed and everyone was stoked to me, I think. Everyone would real supportive of it and they had been all weekend really and it was it was a cool atmosphere and then yeah the paddock thing was a bit weird but generally everyone was keeping their distance and actually you could still chat and it it's kind of it's a weird thing to not have fans but it's also yeah. kind of nice but kind of not it's, it feels very relaxed it feels a bit like you're at a national race when there's not hundreds of fans running around but it's just sort of it's just the top guys there, which is kind of a cool feeling. Yeah. So where where do you go from there then? You've come in not expecting too much. You've taken 10th. And it's not very often that you have another World Cup round on <laughs> a very similar track, like a day or so later. Like, how do you take all of that excitement and uh, good vibes from doing that? And what where does it put your expectations and how do you approach the second race? I think... I think I didn't really, I knew I didn't want to change my goals too much. I was, I was almost slightly worried that I couldn't back it up. I think that was, that was where I put pressure on myself because I was like, I want to do maybe another top 20 so that I can show that like I I could be a top 20 guy as opposed to just sort of just one tenth. And then on the same track, I can't pretty much, I can't do it again. So that was definitely the only pressure really, but. I think in qualies for that race, I I was so worried about not being able to back it up that I took it pretty relaxed and just sort of hit my lines but didn't push very hard and pedaled hard at the bottom but nothing special and then ended up in 30 seconds. So I wasn't too disappointed. I guess you knew that you could go from there to at least 10th. You've done it two days before, so. Yeah, I think I sort of didn't want to didn't want to dismiss it too early and I knew the speed was there and I think it was good that I hadn't pushed and I, I could tell myself I hadn't pushed very hard because I think if I'd pushed hard and then been 25th I might have almost been more disappointed than in 30 seconds on an easy run so I think yeah, that was, yeah, yeah that was better for me probably yeah and then how was your race run for the second the second one it was good it was really good I sort of I pushed harder than I'd 
pushed before and then sprinted so hard at the bottom. I thought I was going to, my legs like cramped up halfway and I like, you know, when you're like, right, I'll back off now. My legs hurt. And then I was like, I've got nothing else to do today. I just, just <laughs> I'm just going to push myself into this hole and pedal as hard as I can and try not to mess up that last little bottom bit into the finish area. And it, it worked out really well and I pieced together the dream run really. I'd sort of, I'd hit all the new sections really well, I felt like. Mm-hmm. So to piece them into a, an already good run that I was happy with was really cool for sure. Yeah. And straight down into the hot seat. How are you, how are you feeling? I think I was, that was my first ever elite world cup hot seat, which was pretty cool. And I think I was just like a 10th of a second up on Phil Atwell who I'd been riding with all weekend. And so that was quite cool. And then I didn't really think I'd stay there for as long as I did. I was like, Oh, there must be, there's loads of fast boys. Someone will knock me off pretty soon. And then it, then the clouds sort of started to roll in and we were worried, we were worried it was going to rain, but it was pretty cool to get on the hot seat for sure. Yeah, it must have been pretty surreal. That's a long time to sit there and watch big name after big name come and not beat your time. Yeah, I think I must have been there for about an hour in the end. And it was like, <laughs> there were people coming down. I didn't really know what to say to them. I was just like, uh, well done. <laughs> I didn't want to like rub it in their face that I'd beaten them because I felt like I, I hadn't quite deserved it. And it was a bit, it was a long wait. And the sort of the nerves gradually built as you sort of you thought about what you could do potentially, but you didn't know because there were so many other people still to come. Yeah, yeah. How did you feel about the weather side of things? Because it's always tricky to know like what impact that actually really had on the track. It doesn't look like it was huge, but it. I guess it always sows a bit of a seed of doubt. Like how how did you feel on the day about how it all panned out? I think I think when I first saw the rain come in, I was like, oh, yes, we get a bit of rain. This will help bump up my results. And then as it came, I started to get a bit worried because I was like, I don't want to – you don't want to win your first World Cup because it rained. I think that doesn't – nobody really counts that as a win, and it's hard to it's hard to say, oh, yeah, I won a World Cup because I went fastest. It's like I won a World Cup because I went down an hour earlier. So I think that was I, – I think I was happy with – coming forth there and not winning it probably because yeah. of the rain but the, I think it looked like it, it slowed the track a bit I think from what I've heard of people saying it sounded like it was more that it was just it was raining at the top so you didn't know how hard to push Yeah, and by the time you'd sort of worked it out it was too late because you needed to push hard on that track from top to bottom so I think I think that's probably where where I gained a bit of time but I think, yeah, the rain was definitely definitely an added twist that I wasn't expecting, really. Yeah, it made it into a very interesting afternoon, watched it. It must have been incredibly strange for you. How was it standing on a World Cup podium, the fourth <laughs> ever elite race, with that group of people as well? Because that was a hell of a podium, really. Yeah, it was surreal. I was still pinching myself. It was sort of... I tried so hard in junior to get a podium and never managed it. And then I was like, I didn't, I didn't even know where to go. <laughs> I was <just> like, <laughs> like, what do I do now? Where do I go? Who do I need to see? And it was all, it was all a bit mad really. And it just still taking it in kind of feels a bit surreal still. Yeah. Did you get much uh, of a chance to chat with people like Greg and, and Loic and that were they, uh, 
Were they complimentary? Yeah, they're always they're, they're always super nice guys, and it was always it's cool to sort of be up there with them and to sort of see, for them to see you that you're not you're not miles back on them like normal, which is cool. But yeah, they're always super nice and always saying well done to you. It's really cool. Yeah, and eleventh in the overall, not a bad way. So third <laughs> third in EWS, eleventh in the World Cup. You got to be pretty pretty happy with 2020. It has been a bit of a you're not the nicest year in a lot of ways, but that's that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm so stoked on that. I think it was I sort of I'd never really come in with it, with either of those as goals, so it was kind of just taking it as it came and just enjoyed it all and it was all a bit mad in the end, but I was really happy. Yeah. So how big of an impact is that uh that little bit of 2020 season had on your chances of being on a team for next year? It's been good. I think I'm still still doing phone calls, still doing emails to try and sort of sort of deal for next year. But definitely, I don't know whether I would have got the same interest if I'd just had the 10th and then that had been the season over. It's hard to mm-hmm. know. I guess you'll never know. But certainly there'd been a lot, there was a lot more interest after getting on the podium and there's a lot more people wanting to to speak and discuss things, so that was really cool. And I think I think hopefully we should get something for next year lined up that yeah. I'm stoked on and I can do well on from there. Yeah, awesome. And the people that you've uh, been supported by this year must have been really happy as well. I bet they weren't expecting that. Yeah, I think it was probably probably a pretty good investment for them. But it was <laughs> I was I was happy to be able to sort of help them out as well and sort of be they'd all sort of some of them had taken more than risk than others, but they'd all sort of put something into someone that might or might not qualify. So it wasn't like they'd, I hadn't been able to ask for much, but they, they'd taken the risk and given me what they could. And all the sponsors I'd had had been super helpful and sort of got me everything that I needed really. So it would, it was good to be able to give them that back and say, thank you. This was, this was down to you as well. Yeah. It's incredible. So, like, how do you move forwards from here? Because it's going to be in the same way that you had a really good first junior season and then that expectation made the second season maybe more challenging than you'd have liked. Like, how do you, how do you take the learnings from that junior experience and work out where you go from here? Because, like, I mean, a fourth place at a World Cup, there's a lot of people looking for that. It's not easy to get. I'm not saying you won't be there again. Yeah. But like, where do you set your expectations? No, no. How do you deal with it? I think I don't want to set my expectations too high. There was there wasn't enough races this year probably to sort of say you're you're going to be eleventh in the world at every race if that's what the overall said at the end of this year. So I think and there's definitely people that weren't there that might have been and. I think I'm so I'm still sort of next year sort of going into it looking for sort of top 20s consistently that'd be the goal but in terms of preparation for that I'm trying to trying to change very little I've sort of there'll be a few bits that I'll have to change and a few bits that I've got the opportunity to change that I'm excited for but sort of sticking with the enduro program I'm going to still getting coached by Chris Kamari so staying with that and still riding the same trails I've ridden all winter and not overcomplicating the things now that I've done well once, really. Fair play. Can you talk about any of the things that you will change in your kind of process or your your off season? Uh, I don't know. Most of them, to be honest with you. Okay. Still trying to. I'm hoping that I can get some more more time away, basically, 
because uh, although it is good riding in the UK, it's it'd be nice to get a trip somewhere sunny so I can get used to dr- ride, riding dry trails a bit better and to get some testing if depending on what team I'm on. And I'm guessing I'm going to be on a different bike, but at this point, I don't know. Nukeproof have sort of, I've sort of spoken with them, and they're they're stoked to do the privateer thing again if if that's what it comes to. So to have that's nice, but yeah, probably a new bike, which will be exciting, but preparation wise, not a whole lot changing, just sort of being able to put a little bit more money into it, hopefully. Yeah. Awesome. And you, uh, you do quite a lot of, of, uh, of trail building in your, in your spare time. Do you think that, do you think that helps with riding both from like understanding the terrain and also from the fitness side of things? Yeah, I think so. I think it helps a little bit and it's, I think it's a better hobby than to do an Xbox at night or whatever. So it keeps me busy and I've got a very short attention span probably. So it, I think having productive things like that always make me excited and it's, it keeps the motivation to ride as well. I think sort of knowing that I've got another fresh track in the woods that I can go and go and thrash for another month is always good when you sort of you're in the middle of winter and you you've been in the same rut for a while. It's, it's nice to have that as well i think yeah have you got a particular like style of building like are there, is there a certain type of track that you like to build <laughs> uh i guess i like building jumps but the, the sort of the dirt around here is better for steeper more natural rutted tracks really and just i like to keep it varied i sort of i wouldn't say i had one particular style probably pretty lazy when it compared to a lot of people <laughs> so <laughs> there won't be I don't overbuild, that's for sure, but just the sort of stuff I want to ride, I guess. Yeah, nice natural stuff. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, uh, we're getting towards the end of our time, but we'll hit up our uh, our standard final four questions. The first of those is if our listeners had £150 to improve their performance on a bike, what would you recommend they go and spend it on? Uh, I'd say a coaching day. I think getting those days with Ben as a as a youngster and then still getting advice from him now i think there's seeing a lot of, you see a lot of people at trail centers and at bike parks that probably aren't getting the most out of their bike and aren't getting they're spending money on new colored brake rotors or or new <laughs> new tire inserts but actually they don't have the basic body position dialed and they're still three finger braking so i think a good coaching day with a good coach should definitely it definitely weigh the test of time and it'll definitely help you have more fun and improve. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Second question. If you could, uh, wind the clock back and it isn't very far for you, but <laughs> if you could sit down with yourself at the age of 16 and give him some advice, what would you tell him? Just not to over, overthink it and don't stress about results too much. Just as long as you just put everything into riding at your best and trust that it'll work out all right in the end, I think. Yeah, well, you've proved that works this year, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Happy days. Question three, if you could have a coaching session with anyone, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a slope star rider. Maybe someone like Semenak. I'm not really good at tricks. I'd love to learn to okay. like backflip or bar spin or something. I'm, not, I'm pretty useless when it comes to doing stunts. That would be cool. Nice. Need a foam pit. Yeah, I know. Be good. <laughs> awesome. And then the final of those questions, what is something that you do every day that you feel benefits you? 
stuff I enjoy, I think would be the, is that an answer? Just, I'm sort of, ev- yeah. every day I'm, generally I'm doing something that I like. I'm either riding a bike, riding mountain bikes, riding road bikes, riding motocross, digging. I'm sort of never, never too bored and fed up. I really enjoy training in the gym and I think that sort of always enjoying it helps. It'd be tough to, I've had points where I haven't enjoyed the stuff I've been doing and it's definitely a, a tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Life's always better if you're doing something you're into, right? Yeah, for sure. Nice one. Cool. Well, if people want to keep in touch and, uh, and see how you get on next season, where's the best place for people to follow you? Uh, Instagram. That'd be the best. It's at Jamie underscore Edmondson. Just on Instagram. Nice one. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes so people can find it as well. Thank you. Wicked. All right, mate. Well, it's been really cool chatting and yeah, what an awesome season, man. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to watch you ride and to see you get those well-deserved results. So yeah, I look forward to seeing where you end up next year and, uh, and seeing some more good results. Thank you so much. It's been great to chat. Thank you. Nice one. Cheers, Jamie. Cheers. All right. That's it for this episode with Jamie. I hope you've enjoyed listening A massive thanks to NF for supporting this episode of the show. If you want to check out their awesome, simple rider focused clothing, then you can do that by heading to ridenf.com i highly recommend their dp3 pant for riding here in the uk it's well cut super comfortable and has a water resistant coating so they're perfect for our climate as a downtime listener you can get 10 percent off your order until the end of 2020 using the code downtime all in lowercase at the checkout all the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com if you fancy representing the show then you can grab yourself a t-shirt or one of our brand new sweatshirts or hoodies by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop you know what to do by now keep on spreading the word about the podcast the more people who listen the easier it is for me to keep this thing going it really is that simple also a review on itunes is super helpful so if you've got a couple of minutes head over and get that done all right we've got another awesome episode coming up real soon but until then get out and ride <laughs>